<laughs> it's pretty amazing. Uh, I hope you don't take it the wrong way. I mean, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of nice, I think. I do like being down there with you. Yeah. Just thought I'd try this. So they were on a mountaintop. Maybe that's what inspired me to rise to this, to this auspicious place. So that mountaintop story is one that we, we um, celebrate often in our liturgy uh, on the mountain. Uh, that, that awesome proclamation, my son, my beloved, listen to him, listen to him. But for them on the mountain, it was an epiphany, season of epiphany. I talked about it last week, too. Talk a little bit about this story, actually. But the epiphany for the apostles, I think, was they saw a truth about Jesus. In the lineage of, of which is Moses and Elijah, Moses, the great savior of Israel, led them out of the slavery and Elijah the prophet you know hearing that story read uh, Elijah's story apparently he could part water too not just Charlton Heston <laughs> but that's that whole thing the 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 uh, those three guys uh got a whole new understanding, a whole new epiphany about what Jesus was and what he was about. He was a part of the, the thousands and thousands of years of, of uh, tradition uh, of, of which uh, Moses and Elijah were a part. And so the experience that they had seemed to them to call for action. What are we going to do? I mean, we've seen all this. What are we going to do? They say, well, they said, wow, this is it. Let's build some shelter. Let's build some little houses. I don't know what they said. One of the scriptures says they built booths. I don't know what that means. But uh, let's set up shop here on top of the mountain. Let's build a church here on top of the mountain. Well, the three, the, the, the two guys, Moses and Elijah, they disappeared and uh, Jesus leads them down the mountain and says, don't tell anybody about this. It was probably good advice. Don't tell anybody about this because we have some work to do down here that we can't do on the top of the mountain. We have work to do. Tell them about this later. Some of you, I asked for a show of hands at 8 o'clock, but some of you have been to Curcio. Yeah, yeah quite a few. Yeah, okay, great. Curcio is a, is a for, for many, many people, for most people, a mountaintop experience. Would you say? I think so. It was. It was for me. Back in the 80s, uh, Susan and I went. 
a long weekend experiencing the love of Christ. And, and you can have an epiphany at, at Curcio. I did. I wasn't ordained then. Look at me now. It's a beautiful, beautiful, well-orchestrated journey with Christ. A transforming epiphany for many people. So when we, we've had this epiphany, and when we, when we left, we were left to go back to experience the, the world that, that we left when we went. Determined to share our experience with everyone we meet. Right. <laughs> oh. I love it when we can have hear the voice of the of the young babies when they're in church with us. I I hope the parents are not uh, too worried about that because we're not. Now, it could get out of hand, but. So here we are, we've come out of this incredible experience, this incredible mountaintop experience, and we're determined to go back and tell everybody about it and tell everybody else that they should go to Curcio. But we find the real world pretty much the same as we left it. Pretty much the same as we left it. A little ambivalent at least. Maybe Peter and James and John found it a bit the same. Because some of them that went off to tell the world about Jesus, they had a real task ahead of them. St. Paul, speaking of conversions and epiphanies, St. Paul, you remember, was, was Saul, the Pharisee, whose business was to persecute those who were trying to be Christians, he had such an experience on the road to Damascus. Jesus appeared to him, struck him blind, and called him to, called him to account for all that he was doing. He says, now your name will be Paul. And you will spread my word. And boy, did he ever. But Paul found plenty of ambivalence on his journey to convert the Jews. Today we read from his second letter to the Corinthians. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If you were reading the scripture, probably you were reading it, it's in your bulletin there. The God of the world, the word God is not capitalized, is it? It's a different kind of God. There's a, a few um, cathedrals to God around. Uh, I think one arose uh, back in the day a cathedral to the God of this world. Uh, I think they called it, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, North Cross Mall. Is that what it was? Or was it some big bank building? I don't know. 
the God of this world. <laughs> so I was watching uh, some time ago uh, a uh, TV show. I think I alluded to this show in the uh, recent past. Uh, it was called Lunch with Bokhara. And uh, Bokhara Legende was a woman that did interviews with people. And, and anyway, I digress a little bit. Uh, so on this one, was, there was a rabbi and a monk that were talking about religion and, and religions and how religions came to be, how they come to be. And they opined that a religion is often spawned by profound religious experience. And a great fire begins to burn like a volcano with all the people. The resurrection story is, is just such an example of that, a very profound mystical experience that happened back in that day. And a great volcanic explosion occurred, metaphorically, as this Christianity thing began to spread and spread and spread. And they, the, the, the rabbi who was telling this story talked about this religious experience kind of erupted like a volcano. And the metaphor was the volcano. The fire in the lava begins to flow down the mountain. And as it flows down, it begins to cool. And by the time it reaches the bottom of the mountain, it's a rock. It's a rock. When the fire goes dim like that, in religion, morals become moralistic, doctrines become doctrinaire and dogmatic, judgments becomes judgmental, religion becomes religiosity. We find this to be the case on any level, really, of religion, I think. Certainly, uh, you could point instances of that in the greater church, in our church or the greater church, in the heart of a friend or a family who's lost contact with, with God for some reason or another. I run into that a lot, really. Or even sometimes in our own hearts, we just lose contact with that fire that can burn so brightly that came down the mountain and became rock. Even our, our own hearts. But the fire remains there. It's kind of like down in the rock somewhere. It could be rekindled. Just chip away at the rock until the embers of the faith are found. Who, who here was a Boy Scout? Not very many. Of course, none of the ladies are raising their hand. 
How about Girl Scout? <laughs> yes, more Girl Scouts than Boy Scouts. Why, why did I, <laughs> why am I not surprised? But you know, in the Boy Scouts, at least for me anyway, we, we learned to start a fire, didn't we? Yeah, you, you learned to start a fire. And where I lived, you got some cedar bark and you rough, and you made a, roughed up the cedar bark li- like this and you held it in your hand and you, or, Somewhere, and you, you knocked on a rock with a piece of steel and you knocked a little spark into the cedar bark. And it began just to glow and just very carefully blew upon it. Blew upon it. And it grew and it grew. And pretty soon you had a beautiful fire from a small ember chiseled out of the rock. patiently chipped at the rock until embers of faith were found. So as a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout, we breathe softly on that small ember and create the fire and encourage others with patience to do the same in their hearts, in their church, in the world. Patience and loving kindness Is what we're built upon. And we can support that with one another. So this is what Paul undertook with the Corinthians that we read about. And the Thessalonians were nearby, and among others, of course. But those two, you know, Paul was always writing them letters, and that's what we were reading from, and those two required two letters. They were a little more difficult, a little more chiseling involved, I guess, with them. And Paul chiseled and chiseled, and here we are. Of course, he ultimately gave his life for them. You know, I was just, as I tried to figure out how to finish this, <laughs> That's the hardest part. But I got to thinking about this congregation, this wonderful and exceptional congregation that we're a part of. I'll not be a part of this for much longer, as you know, you know that. Remember, just get over it. (laughs) And I'll try to get over it too. But it's a congregation of inclusion rather than exclusion, acceptance rather than rejection, reconciliation over estrangements or alienations. That's who you are. And that's who you've helped me remember to be. So on Easter Sunday, we'll start the new flame in that old tradition. And we will bring the flame to the church. So let us be sure to carry that spirit, that flame, the new flame, into our life 
into our hearts, into our church, and into the world, into the reign of, as Paul put it, the God of this world. As Matthew put it, St. Matthew put it, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I love to quote the Dalai Lama. He says, my religion is very simple. My religion is kindness. Amen. Amen.